Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In one of James Carroll's early novels, he offers the poignant image. A young man is in the delivery room watching his wife give birth to their baby. The delivery is a difficult one and she is in danger of dying. As he stands watching, he is deeply conflicted. He loves his wife, is holding her hand, and is frantically praying that she not die. Yet the impending birth of their child and the danger of his wife's death conspire to make him acutely aware. Deep in his heart, he has not forgiven her for once being unfaithful to him. He has expressed his forgiveness to her, but he realizes now at the moment of extreme crisis that in his heart he still has not been able to let go of the hurt, that he has not truly forgiven her. As his wife hovers between life and death, he sees in her face a great tension, a struggle to give birth to someone even as she desperately struggles not to die. Her agony accentuates the deeper lines in her face and he sees there a dual struggle to give birth and to not die. Seeing this, seeing this, he is able to forgive her. What moves him is not simple pity, but an empathy born of a special insight. His wife's struggle to give birth while wrestling to stay alive, highlighted by the agony of her situation, is like a light shining on her whole life, helping to explain everything, including her infidelity. What brings you to church this morning? I asked the older lady whose face appeared heavy. I'm just looking for a little peace, she said. Peace. That's the theme of this second Sunday in Advent. And I want to suggest that for our gospel, the only way to peace is out in the wilderness as we heed John the Baptist's summons to receive a baptism of forgiveness. Look at all the people God bypassed to be the divine spokesperson. Did you catch those names? In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. One John juxtaposed with seven others. And these seven individuals aren't just anybody. They are the movers and shakers of society, the deal makers of the day, the death wielders, the power brokers, the ones who reign and rule the earthly kingdom. They don't receive the word of God as we might expect, but the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. John the Baptist, strange, sketchy, foul-smelling prophet 
John, the one who is like the cousin Eddie of the Holy Family. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you laughed, the six and the eight, and it didn't, didn't get them. It's to him out in the wilderness that the word of God comes. Because that, Luke is saying, is where the salvation highway of our God is being constructed. Rome built its roads and highways and bridges true enough. You could get around the ancient world better than at any moment in recorded history. The roads were grand. You could just imagine Caesar's wife beginning her own highway beautification initiative. The roads were grand. Travel was easy. Trade routes were prosperous. These roads, however wonderful, don't and won't lead anyone to peace. They are glittery dead ends. The way of peace is the road of forgiveness. If you desire all flesh to see God, as the prophet promises, receive the baptism of forgiveness. Forgiveness. We all know that not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. We know grudges and resentments and vendettas are our kryptonite. And yet, if you're like me, you find forgiveness so hard. It only takes a basic understanding of human nature to see that we all love to be right. And we are hardwired for this, aren't we? You know that little endorphin-like burst of energy we get when we realize that the argument is ours? The surge of being right, being a part of the right cause or the right political party. It's because, in my view, we Americans are all, in the end, perfectionists. And up there with desires for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is being right. Of course, this is subtle and hard to detect because it's so much a part of our daily lives. But maybe you experience it around a particular family member at a holiday gathering. You are catching up and listening to their life and hearing about how they've lost their job and struggling with their third marriage and still estranged from their daughter and inconquerably lazy. And your inner Mr. and Miss Wright can't help but start indexing little tips and nuggets and tools for ways they might improve the quality of their own life. And incidentally, improve the quality of your own life too. If they could get their stuff together, then I could quit worrying. And it's into this moment Mr. or Miss Wright bids us to speak up can I just share with you my not-so-humble opinion? And the half-naked prophet, Cousin Eddie, the guy who talks too loud, lacks all subtlety, who we would never allow to be around our kids, is out in the wilderness with a totally different message. Repent. Give up this crippling perfectionism. There's nothing harder for right to accept than forgiveness. And there's nothing more liberating. You see, I so wish growth in the spiritual life included reading more books 
or changing my diet or meditating with my diffuser or booking a trip to Maui? Why does it, why does it involve trekking out to the wilderness except a baptism of forgiveness? Well, I guess we could imagine that trekking out to the wilderness could involve setting around the stuff you've been carrying, a kind of letting go of the assumptions. And it wouldn't involve any amount of achieving, accomplishing, or acquiring. It's a journeying to a place where you have a clearer vision. Think back to the husband, watching as his dying wife tries to give birth. He notices as he looks at her, at her who has betrayed his trust, he feels his own hurt. But then he recognizes, and this is the conversion, he recognizes that his wife is a larger person than the hurt she has caused him. Her soul, her struggle to both live and give life, place her in a larger world than one he is at the center of. And this perspective, this letting another person's soul shine, despite them not deserving it, and despite the hurt they've caused, has something to do with forgiveness. It's not to deny the pain they've caused you, it's to recognize that you are bigger than the pain, and so are they. To have this vision is to have eyes that have been baptized in forgiveness. And it's to recognize that each of us is so much more similar than we are different. We're all Buddhist and Christian and Jewish alike. Despite our appearances, we're all a little bit angry, a little bored, mildly dissatisfied with our jobs and our waistbands. And despite being kind of convinced that we are right, the deepest part of us is merely trying to avoid death and birth something good. To recognize that struggle in another is to, ga is to gain the capacity to forgive them. So, in the second year of the U.S. presidency of Donald Trump, when Tom Wolf was governor in Pennsylvania, and Pat Toomey and Bob Casey were senators of of Pennsylvania, and Bill Peduto, the mayor of Pittsburgh, and Noah and Garrett priests at St. Paul's, the word of God came to you. That is the promise and the hope that the word of God will come to you in your wilderness. And I imagine it says something like this. God doesn't see you as the sum of your sins but as one whose soul has been washed in the waters of baptism and who shines as a daughter, as a son of God. You don't have to be right, just forgiven. Could that be the way to peace?